Hello and welcome back to episode 12 of the Strength Ratio Podcast. Uh, in this week's episode, we're going to be simplifying our pyramid. And for those who are tuning in for the first time or for those who've forgotten, we have a pyramid that describes a hierarchy of importance uh, pertaining to both training and recovery and progression. And that is at the base of the pyramid, biomechanics. Above that, some type of periodized plan. Above that, recovery. And at the very top, biofeedback. In episode 11, we dove into how we program our thinking behind creating a hierarchy of needs, whether that's pertaining to exercise selection or exercise intensity. <clears throat> we, we dove more into the details. And at times, it can seem a little bit overwhelming as for where to start with those details. So we're going to take a step back. We'll, of course, bring up those details uh, in the future and break them down more and more. But just taking a step back. So if things do seem overwhelming, of course, first, you might want to watch or sorry, listen to episode 11. But if things uh, did seem overwhelming, we're now going to just take a step back. And we're going to follow the progression of that pyramid. So in essence, simplifying it all. And because biomechanics is the foundation of the pyramid, though, you can almost think of it as being or what should be a prerequisite to the pyramid. Um, we're going to start there. We're going to talk about the squat, the deadlift, pressing mechanics, pulling mechanics, uh, and we're going to address what has become popular uh, where in social media and amongst coaches you might hear conflicting uh, language and arguments and maybe try to find a middle ground or explain why there are these different trains uh, of thought. But let's start with the squat. So the squat caught a lot of attention in CrossFit because CrossFit was allowing for a below parallel squat where in almost any accredited strength communities or uh, accreditation processes for personal training or coaching, it was often discouraged to squat below parallel. So with CrossFit's inception, it was neat in that they were accepting of a deep squat, but not yet accepting of the ankles really being involved at all in the squat. The knees were left stacked over the heels and with the hips below parallel, it gives you this <clears throat> hybrid between a hinged over low bar squat that might look to just break the plane of parallel and with how CrossFit advocated for the bar high on the back, it's this hybrid between the textbook low bar and high bar squat. We know now that not only is a below parallel squat safe, um, but it will also get you strong. It will strengthen you through a range of motion that is quite natural. Uh, and we don't usually throw out terms like natural or meant to be or how humans work, but it is the case that that's really how we're designed to squat 
Furthermore, we are designed to squat and it is safe to squat with the knees coming out over the toes. So if you are in a CrossFit gym or you are still training just below parallel with a vertical shin, you could probably do better. You could probably involve uh, more of your quads by going lower through a fuller range of motion. You might have to drop weight in order to do that because it's a novel range of motion. But over time, you can develop a really deep squat that's not only below parallel, but also knees forward of toes. And on this spectrum of rotational components of the squat, we were met with this knees out phenomenon. And now this discussion of torque working internally. So now we have uh, kind of two arguments and we can hopefully best explain where they come together. So in this knee out argument that was popularized by Kelly Sturette, it was quite in line that if the ankles weren't going to be expressed through their full range of motion and we were just breaking parallel, we would do almost anything we could to try to gain extra strength somehow in that deep squat and pushing the knees way out was in our opinion the way to go about doing that because if the knees couldn't go forward then they had to go somewhere or else you had a hard time breaking parallel at all but now we have this talk about well is it acceptable for the knees to come in as often you see with some lifters especially olympic weightlifters almost always in a heavy clean recovery that is deep the knees come in and almost looks like a recoiling of knees in and then that propels them up like a reflex of sorts so perhaps it's not that we should align ourselves with one or the other or say it's good or bad but be able to communicate to others where these come from why it has developed as such, etc. So when we coach the squat, we keep it quite simple. We have athletes find balance in a squat, which is often over the midfoot. We tell them it's safe and okay for their knees to come forward over their toes and to squat as far down as they can without their tails tucking underneath them. That's a pretty easy way to teach it. There's no excessive jargon. There's no scary language around it. It's very simple. Um, I have Kyle here with me. I am, yeah, I am here. Kyle is here. He's been polite. <coughs> but Kyle <coughs> was recently coaching someone through a squat at the gym. And this person demonstrated those few things. They were going straight down in the middle of their foot. There was no excessive motion, and it's important to note the word excessive, motion of the knees either in or out, and they went as far down as they could while maintaining a nice little arch in their back. They certainly weren't tucking under. So once those are there, we can begin talking about other postural things, and then that's when Kyle gave the cue about looking into other areas, understanding that there's a hierarchy of these mechanics. So are they moving through the fullest range of motion that they can? Is the spine in a neutral position? And then we can layer on 
extra details. And because extra details, even though this is a simplifying <clears throat> process, uh, are, are fun, we thought we'd present some along the way. So Kyle, what did you say to this athlete about tension in the, the back? Uh, yeah, so it kind of comes from two different areas. One was uh, Greg Knuckles has a really good uh, squat article. and It's not a podcast of ours if we don't have Greg Knuckles reference. Once. Yeah, uh, he has a really good squat article and uh, also deadlift and bench one as well. He has like a whole, uh, I don't remember what he calls it, like ebook or manual. And um, in there, he pr- pretty much breaks down every aspect of, of a squat and Usually what he comes to is uh, kind of do whatever feels most comfortable for you within these, you know, kind of safety guidelines. So similar to what Zach was just saying, like nice neutral spine, um, the range of motion, um, either for your sport or that you feel comfortable with and, and things like that. Um, and then the other area was uh, actually from Chad Wesley Smith. He has those great, you know, squat um, videos and a lot of information around that. And, uh, so a couple of points performance, like from those two that I kind of put together, uh, was one, the midfoot, uh, almost feeling like you're putting pressure into your big toe. Uh, I always say, think about having your knee just go outside your big toe. Um, now some people, especially with the knees out cue, um, and often you get the screw your feet into the floor, but when you do that, people screw too hard and then their knees go almost outside their, their pinky toe. Uh, and that's way too far and you're going to lose a lot of power there. Uh, so just outside your big toe with your feet screwed into the floor. Um, and then in regards to hand position on the uh, on the bar for the upper back is going in as close as you can uh, without allowing your wrist or sorry, your elbow to come outside of your wrist. So you want to get your hands in as close as possible and really think about squeezing down and trying to bend the bar. Uh, but without your elbows going outside your wrist, which will create really good upper back tension. Um, yeah, and so those are usually the points of performance I focus on first. So like we've mentioned, there's a hierarchy of the cueing. There's a hierarchy of what you see as being uh, appropriate with those mechanics. Now, someone can air squat and have their tail tuck and look like complete garbage <clears throat> and probably not do themselves any harm because it's an air squat and there's no loading. So this brings up the importance of loading. You could arguably have someone who has mediocre mechanics and make appropriate loading progressions Mm -hmm. and get away. Okay. And maybe even add strength through whatever ranges they have in that non or that suboptimal position. Mm -hmm. So once we have these foundational pieces, maybe even layered on with those additional cues that Kyle mentioned, We want to make sure that if we're training for work capacity or for hypertrophy, that we're adding more volume over time. So the weight addition might be very, very tiny or not at all. You might look to add volume the next week with the same weight as the week prior. Whereas with intensity, if you're following a basic linear plan or some kind of undulating plan, good rule of thumb is about adding 5% Mm -hmm. to your strength. Now, what's not wise is to challenge, and we're going to stay with the squat for a second, challenge the squat 
to where you are routinely not able to maintain posture simply because you're exceeding your intensity capabilities or your volume capabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're doing it too often, that'll certainly lead to uh, overreaching super fast and injury if you don't back off. Well, I, I was going to say, I think one thing that um, is sometimes miss, I don't want to say interpreted or uh, that is often done wrong, especially let's say for a high bar back squat in particular, is that just because you can move the load doesn't mean that you want to keep increasing weight there. And what I mean by that is if you have someone who for the high bar back squat is coming out of the hole and they're able to keep, you know, really good neutral spine, uh, their knees aren't coming in excessively, even though, like Zach said earlier, depending on the situation, that might not be a bad thing. Um, they're keeping a tight upper back, everything is that if they're shifting way back into their hips and you're trying to make it a leg exercise, that's probably not the point of what you're having the squat do. And you're also training bad technique. So as you get heavier in your weights, it's going to limit you in terms of how, like how strong you can actually get. Um, so I, I had a, an athlete recently who was doing that and I actually just lowered the weight for them and said, want to make sure that you can stay in your quads throughout the whole movement. And it went down about 30 pounds and he was like, yeah, my, my quads blew up, but like I could move the, the, the heavier weight, but I didn't feel it in my quads. It was just all my lower back. So I lowered it and kept it for him and his quads. And he's like, yeah, that was much more of a leg workout than the heavier weight, if that makes sense. So and it was the reason that's appropriate is because it challenges probably the most important thing that we mentioned with mechanics, which is creating a neutral spine. Yeah. Yes. You're, you're losing out on weightlifting carryover with like clean recoveries and snatch recoveries. You're missing out on quad hypertrophy and, uh, quad work capacity. But if you kick far enough back into the heels, though, like Kyle said, you can still technically complete it. Yeah. Well, if you think of your hips as point a and the bar as point B, if your hips kick way back, it's likely going to be hard to keep an upright posture. The distance between A and B against gravity mm. gets greater. There are fancier ways of saying this, but this podcast is about keeping it simple. Whereas when you watch someone squat with an upright posture, their hips stay more or less underneath where the load is, keeping that distance safe, keeping the weight over their quads. So while you can do it, can you do it correctly? And again, we believe that a squat when done correctly is simply in the midfoot coming straight down and straight up. And by straight, it implies that the chest is upright. So we've addressed the importance of a neutral spine in the squat, hopefully addressed why certain cues have come about knees out, knees in, weight in the heels, weight in the midfoot. Uh, but hopefully now, because when you have a new athlete or even an advanced athlete looking to get an edge, if you're saying more than a few things, it's really going to be counterproductive. You need to keep it simple. Are we good to go on to the deadlift? Well, I just wanted to add in uh, an interesting thing I've heard a couple of times now is that many of the, um, the heel cue was, uh, well, one, because of they didn't want the knee to mm -hmm. um, be flexed too much. They wanted 
you know, not the ankle to go past, but a lot of it also came from geared powerlifting and, and not yeah. geared in the sense of uh, drugs, but like squat suits and such, where by sitting back, they get more of a stretch in the suit, which allows them to come up faster. And, and the standard was just break below parallel. Yeah. So this is something different. This is getting into the world of uh, suited or geared rather yeah. powerlifting where that is your aim and you wear a squat suit to help you through that specific range. Which is where much of the the information for From the main prop- lifts. Well, I was, I was not going to say cross, cross, I was going to say just in America, uh-huh. yeah. like the squat, the lift and bench came from geared powerlifting. Um, where a lot of, because now a lot of raw, raw getting, powerlifters are going to high bar. Yeah. It's getting a lot more popular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very cool. So, because if you think about it, doing that kind of squat, the squat that Kyle just described is actually harder to do without gear. Yeah. Then it could be otherwise, if you were to take advantage of a fuller squat and use a stretch reflex that even though you're going deeper, you have some momentum, you have help, uh, by way of that stretch reflex. Specifically, if you imagine in a deep squat, the hamstring and calf approximation, those two, uh, groups of muscles literally touching and with the right timing, they help you get out of the bottom of a squat faster than you would. Otherwise that reflex is what gear (coughs) does in a low bar squat with the weight way back in the heels. Mm-hmm. I think another thing to just address really quick, and this will kind of carry over to everything else we talk about is, um, you know, someone saying, Oh, I don't have the mobility for this. Like, I can't like my, I have really tight ankles. Um, you know, I have tight hips, such and such versus they're just not, they haven't pre- like learned the technique of the movement mm-hmm. yet to where their body's comfortable to get down there. Yeah. And, and it could be that they might, need an elevated heel uh, if their ankles are and this is not giving you guys a screening process but it could be that they need an elevated heel it could be that they need the load out in front of their bodies like a safety bar or a goblet squat for their hips to get low or it could be that they were just told to squat or it could be and we've had a client told that they weren't quote unquote built to high bar well they were little bit frustrated to find out they have one of the prettier high bar squats now in our gym yeah so um try it out add load appropriately a very little bit of load over time if you're working reps above eight maybe you're not even changing the weight at all you're just increasing volume and if you are working with reps two to six perhaps you add five percent each week whether that's keeping the rep scheme the same or undulating the reps and sets over time. Uh, As for the deadlift, one thing that Kyle has worked with me on and many of our athletes, and I think this does come from a style of deadlifting that might be misunderstood. And that is in the conventional deadlift to be so far out over the bar that your chest is only just above the hip level Mm. as is taught in CrossFit seminars and elsewhere. It just isn't what you ever see on the powerlifting platform. So do you want to just talk a little bit about what you you've seen and how you cue people around deadlifts kind of from the ground up? Um, yeah, you know what, one thing I usually start with and it's gonna, I think the deadlift is probably the one I see the most variation in, in terms of what's comfortable for people. Uh, and, and, and how they're built. Um, 
so there there is going to be some people who like a relatively higher hip position uh, while there's also going to be a lot who are almost look like they're squatting the bar up um, but some things is you know a relatively straight shin in this example uh, and then the shoulders over the bar if not slightly behind with a with a nice neutral spine as well um, and uh, those are usually things I look at first just to, like to find a comfortable position for that so see what's most comfortable for them in that position and then um, that way as they come up the bar is coming straight up off the floor and not having to go uh, hard to picture this but like out and around the knees mm-hmm. and being pulled forward and I, I think wh- where you see that be a problem most and perhaps as like sport of fitness people get in trouble with, especially with like touch and go style Mm -hmm. snatch or clean is that if your shoulders are too far in front of the bar, it's the same analogy as the squat, the Mm -hmm. distance between where the bar is and where your leverage is just doesn't really add up for an efficient pull. So when deadlifting if you can keep the shoulders on top of, if not slightly behind the bar, you're probably going to allow for a vertical pull that very much resembles the vertical bar path of a high bar squat. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for sumo versus conventional, because this is a big point of contention, I think it does ultimately fall into what feels most comfortable, what allows you to do it over time, most safe and sound. Mm-hmm. So some of our athletes will do conventional, some sumo. If you do do sumo only, it might be to your benefit to occasionally throw in the conventional. They do prioritize, or not really prioritize, but involve to a more or less extent some muscle groups versus others. So if you're healthy and capable of doing both, maybe do both. Mm-hmm. If you compete in one for a mechanical advantage due to your relative limb length segments, optimize the one that you're best at, keep up on the one that you're not as good at perhaps in your off season. Again, it's coming back down to what are the goals of the lift? And if it is for general population and it feels good to do both, do both. If it feels good to do one, perhaps do that one and supplement your training with other uh, posterior chain exercises always prioritizing the neutral spine. Yeah, they, they do uh, somewhat help each other as well because the, you know, the sumo deadlift is much usually harder to break off the floor, whereas if the, the conventional deadlift is usually hardest between the shin and the knee. And this is where we found the trap bar to be so helpful, is especially with our older populations or those who are new to training, is that the trap bar does set it up much like a squat. The the loading really does stay right underneath the lifter's center. Whereas with a barbell, sometimes it just drifts too far out and the lifter just feels a little bit crammed for space. So if you have a trap bar, try it out. You'll be surprised to find how much it does feel like a squat and that it does use the quads more than a regular barbell deadlift. Um, but it's also just a great tool to have for breaking the bar off the ground, for even overloading what you could pull in a deadlift just because especially with most uh trap bars they have a high handle option so you can lift more weight so it's just another consideration to have yeah some uh some other interesting things about a trap bar and these are all in my head because i just recently read some some literature on it but uh it it, it's one of the only i don't want to say only lifts but it's much more similar to a sumo deadlift because your center of gravity is more underneath you and 
uh, it's hardest to break off the floor, but it accelerates throughout the whole lift. Uh, so once you break it off the floor, it just keeps moving faster. The velocity picks up. So if you're an athlete, there, there's some thoughts now that it might actually be best for athletes because um, uh, it helps with jumping, sprinting, all that kind of stuff, hip extension. Uh, and you can even jump with it. Yeah, you, you can, can do even it. do some jump squats with it. Um, so if you, if you have a hard time breaking off a four for, let's say you are a power lifter or even a weight lifter, uh, if the bar feels heavy off the floor, doing some trap bar delos could be really good. Obviously, it would likely be farther away from your competition period, let's say, but it could be a really good tool to um, kind of work some of those weaknesses. <clears throat> when it comes to press mechanics, if we're cool to go to press mechanics, yeah. it's kind of similar to the origins of the squat in that – well, range was never really uh, a problem. I will say that when the press is taught, I think very often coaches neglect the top range of motion, mm -hmm. which is that our shoulder blades, these bones that sit on your rib cage, where they in and of themselves allow us to put our arms over our head. Their rotation is what allows us to reach. At the very top of a press, if you're listening and you put your arms over your head, uh, in a very passive state, you'll find that your arms overhead, they're not all the way up. You have to kind of actively reach to get all the way up. And that's what we coach in any type of standing press. Yeah, even in a jerk, the intention is to catch as high as possible. There is this reach at the top. And if you don't get that reach, you neglect this last bit of range of motion that is very important for healthy shoulders. What has become uh, I guess just like what I was trying to say with the squat more recent in conversation is this rotational aspect to it. CrossFit coaches armpits forward, which implies external rotation. There are other coaches uh, who are now coaches as well. Weightlifting coaches who uh, advocate for the shoulders coming inwards. It is a similar discussion in that rotation in any extreme or to rotation that is exaggerated is probably not best and it will not feel natural to the athlete. Uh -huh. However, there is quite a lot of consistency among watching high level weightlifters in that their shoulders are not externally <clears throat> rotated. There does appear to be some degree of internal rotation that helps the bar best sit stacked over the, the muscular anatomy. Uh -huh. So when coaching your athletes, if you do cue them to turn their arms out or to show their armpits, and if you try this right now, if you bring your arm overhead and externally rotate your arm, meaning that your palm is now facing your ear, it is much harder to satisfy that first uh, cue that we gave, which is reach as high as able. If you have the arm relaxed or slightly in, it's easier to reach up overhead. And that's why a lot of weightlifters use slight internal rotation overhead. It's <clears throat> why we'll even cue it if the athlete is not presenting with excessive external yeah. rotation. I think that another thing is like, as soon as you do that, you just feel it more in your, your lats and upper back and yep. not so much like, like your, the front of your shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Um, and your head just feels more natural as well. For sure. <laughs> and as for the 
different types of, because this is something that while we're talking about pressing and pulling, uh, one thing that we're going to talk about is exercise selection. There are many different exercises that you can perform pressing with. So not only do we have a standing overhead press, I would say that the dip is a vertical press. That is certainly worth training. That any type of isolation tricep exercise is a pressing exercise. Uh, not just the dip, but like a tricep kickback or an overhead tricep extension. These are all pressing exercises. Anything in the horizontal plane that involves benching, I would think is a horizontal pressing exercise. Say for probably like a pec fly, that's more horizontal adduction. It's this mm. horizontal sweeping motion. You can not only just do a flat bench press, but you could even do a bench press at an incline. There, there are many ways that if you are having pain or discomfort or your lifts are stalling across the pressing type exercises, there are perhaps other exercises that you aren't doing that either will provide a novel stimulus that help the stalled out exercises to grow or things that you can change up slightly that allow overused tissues to relax you just train something that doesn't feel as uncomfortable on this like performance having stalled versus pain spectrum. And you just want to make sure that when you are performing these exercises, as we'll always come back to, that it's through as comfortable a range of motion as possible through the fullest range of motion as possible. Yeah. I think um, just one, since you mentioned stalling really quick, uh, I think that sometimes what people do is that they uh, think they've stalled with a movement so they start throwing in too much variation uh -huh, or too, sure. too many extra things. Or maybe they need to be looking more at the plan itself. Uh, so did I, especially, uh, uh, I don't want to say more in CrossFit, but in CrossFit is having like that progression from week to week, uh, that, that, uh, that periodized, somewhat periodized plan where like if you, if it's been six months and you like do a deadlift uh, or you go for one arm deadlift and all of a sudden you say, Oh, like I'm, this is the same one I hit six months ago. I've been doing all this training, but there hasn't been a progression each month of like maybe you did like some tens and then some eights. Especially and then with some strength, five. like if you want to be yeah. like decay of absolute strength. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my my deadlift's not getting stronger. I need to be doing these other accessory work to get it stronger. It's like no, you probably should have just stuck with you know good uh, progressive overload and specific specificity. Um, I think you that's like kind of the areas a lot of people should look first, making sure their, their program is progressive mm -hmm. uh, and specific. Cause those are like overwhelmingly the most important um, training principles. And, and then from there you can start adding these, these other things. Um, yeah. Cause I, I always make sure to do, make sure those things are progressing. And then a lot of my accessory is somewhat based on weaknesses, but also just like, a lot of fun stuff as well. Yeah. Cause like the difference between doing uh, a rack pull and maybe uh hip thrust, let's say they do target different areas, but it's really hard to tell like what one is really preventing you from increasing deadlift. So I just kind of, from, for my purposes, kind of say, okay, which one haven't I done in a while? And which one's more fun for me right now? Yeah. And then that fun <clears throat> and novelty is really, and health, uh, but 
this is where the discussion of, and, and if you listen to our, our episode 11, we talk about the ABC model, exercises that are more or less both neurologically or mechanically stressful. Um, but when it comes to these novel exercises, they might help us out in terms of novel accessory exercises. Uh-huh. They might help us out with our main lifts as kind of like a one and done, and then they don't work again. But some exercises that would fall into that C category that we described that primarily might be unilateral or involve training of smaller muscle groups are mm-hmm. good just to have in there throughout yeah. the, the season, throughout and, the year. And this is this is going back a little bit, but I just uh, thought popped in my head when you were talking about the internal office external rotation. Um, I remember when uh, Harrison was here, we were doing the overhead yoke carries. He's like, you just you just couldn't do this if you did external rotation. Like you could not do an overhead carry yeah. externally uh, comfortably. And it's like we, we've had another athlete who tried who's been trying to snatch her whole CrossFit career and catching the weight with the shoulders rotated out. Yeah. Uh, which is very, very hard to do. On to pulling motions, same major principles through as comfortable and as large a range of motion as you can. Though when it comes to pull motions, there are so many different exercises. I think if you're going to Mm -hmm. look at pulling mechanics, there's so many different planes that you can pull through that target different major muscle groups Mm -hmm. that some sports in the strength world, CrossFit included, do not involve. So when we look at pulling motions, just like with press, we can break it down into that which is vertical and that which is horizontal. That which is vertical, we think of pull-ups or pull-downs. It's a really good thing that CrossFit advocates for a chest-to-bar pull-up, similar to what we mentioned with reaching all the way up at the top to avoid impingement in a press. When we do a pull-up chest-to-bar or perform lat pull-downs with really good technique where our shoulders are low relative to our ears that kind of resembles a chest-to-bar pull-up, we avoid impingement at the shoulder. And impingement is just a fancy word for saying that particular muscle doesn't get entrapped by bony anatomy at the shoulder. But in the vertical plane, we have pull-ups, pull-downs, we have high pulls, High pulls were cool in the CrossFit community with the sumo deadlift high pull. That's kind of faded out, though, as long as you apply the principles of using load that feels comfortable through blah, 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 an appropriate range of motion that feels comfortable, you'll be totally fine. There's no one type of uh, pulling plane that is inherently dangerous. Instead, uh, you can just make sure to in your program progress appropriately and you might have for instance a heavier as we apply to almost all of our exercises a heavier day and a lighter day so you might have a day that involves pull-ups and then a day that involves higher volume pull downs yeah I, I think a good way to do it is well i always think about it it's the horizontal pulling and the vertical pulling and the vertical can be broken up into two categories going from your hands like overhead back to your shoulder or from your waist to your shoulder. And uh, yeah, you have one day that's maybe an emphasis of the horizontal where the other day, and then maybe like a lighter variation of the vertical pull there. Um, 
and, and lighter variation would mean like uh could be lap pull downs could be well any kind of pull down or it like inverted row mm-hmm. uh and then you just the next day you switch it up so then you do a harder vertical day and a light horizontal day yeah, so you that. so you would switch the plane of motion and switch uh uh-huh. hard and, and and light and again that's just in the category of progression <clears throat> and fatigue management um so that you're not double or tripling up on anything uh-huh. um and the cool thing in kind of tying this together, though there really is nothing magical about it, uh, is carrying. Um, I guess there is something magical about it. It's kind of cool. But yeah, carrying's the, fun. The carrying can take advantage of both pull and press mechanics. If you have weight over your head, if you have weight at your side, uh, you are doing this in a different fashion in that you are uh, fixing the shoulder joint in place. It is not moving as it would in a pull-up or in a standing press. You are working on stability. Stability means that you are uh, staying fixed in motion while the joint is loaded rather than uh, training it through uh, in a mobile range, especially for the shoulder with how mobile it is, uh, the carry is good because it takes that, uh, joint that is otherwise pretty, uh, instable and trains the stability aspect of it, which is what the joint needs in order for you to succeed in your kipping pull-ups or bench pressing or snatching or jerking. So that kind of brings those together quite well. Uh, if of course there's no press or pull mechanic, it's a yoke carry that you're somehow situating either on your back or, or perhaps even in a front rack. Well, there's nothing to that uh, from a press pull standpoint, though there's a lot that's going on uh, in terms of uh, the abdominal cavity and the bracing of the spine that will certainly carry over towards the squat and the deadlift. But as for cueing there, there's nothing too crazy. Uh, it's pretty simple stuff. And the attrition is quite high. You, you'll, you'll get good at it pretty quickly. Um, you could even take larger jumps, I'd say, than 5% because if, mm. especially if you're using a yoke, the absolute load is so high that you could stand to put more on the yoke uh, in faster increments as long as nothing crazy happens to your gait. So hopefully the big takeaway was we've discussed squat, deadlift, press, pull, carry is maintaining a neutral spine, appropriate loading and progressing loads. And actually before we go on, as for pulling, because I can't think of how CrossFit or weightlifting or powerlifting targets these areas in particular, but as for horizontal rowing, just a good thing to keep in mind is that a posterior shoulder with those uh, sports is always going to keep you in in Uh pretty good, healthy shape. The higher the pull from a horizontal standpoint is relative to your center, the more you're going to involve muscles of the posterior shoulder. When we say posterior, we mean behind the shoulder Uh, that involves um, muscles, uh, the back involves muscles of the rotator cuff. It involves muscles of uh, the backside of the deltoid. It involves muscles of the mid to upper back, including the upper traps and the rhomboids. So you get a, a lot of really good muscular involvement from 
muscles that aren't really being used in those other sports directly. Mm-hmm. And this would be more like accessory work, mm-hmm. like face pulls and high pulls of the like. Um, and the lower you're pulling down on your body with a horizontal pull, the more you're involving the lats. So if you, similarly, if you just pulled more to the mid, you're getting the mid traps and the muscles that bring the shoulder blades together. We call those the retractors, largely the mid traps and rhomboids. So just thought I'd, before I forget, throw, throw that in there. There are so many ways to involve pulling. Uh, as for the frequency with which you do pressing and pulling, who's to say, mm-hmm. but maybe having a day that's push intensive and a day that's pull intensive is not a bad idea. Do you think, um, so we work with a lot of, you know, people come to us because they have some sort of chronic injury. Do you think uh, there's, I mean, to me at least, some things that would benefit a lot of people the most would be more glute work to protect the lower back because you can kind of think it's the glute is like the shield of the low back and then more posterior shoulder work would be, would be two things that I think would really help people. In and of it. themselves. Yeah. Like if you're loading and your progressions are not appropriate, we would of course yeah. look there first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I do think <clears> that <throat> targeted glute work, uh, hip thrusts, pretty wild, like far forward reaching lunges, mm. Um, band work, quadruped work. These are all things that, that challenge the glutes. And, and as I just mentioned, um, quadruped means you're on all fours. Quad, sorry. We're trying to make this simple. <laughs> I, I did say that posterior was just the behind of the backside of your shoulder. That's true. Or not the shoulder, the backside of anything. Um, <clears throat> if there are any terms that we've used too, don't let us contradict <clears throat> ourselves. Let us know if we've made it as simple as possible to understand. Yeah. Um, the way we're going to, but yes, uh, posterior, sh- like if you're thinking of how to get the most bang for your buck in any of those sports, weightlifting, powerlifting, or CrossFit, what could be most helpful is that, you know, what might be neglected is uh, specific glute work, specific work to the posterior chain, and it never hurts to just have extra uh, low back yeah. uh, work. So whether that's in the form of, any type of hip extensions mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, reverse hyper, that would be yeah, kind of icing on the cake. I, I think if you can think about that in terms of like our ABC model. <clears throat> so if you had, you know, obviously we said last week that you can look at the ABC in terms of exercise selection. You could also look in, in terms of uh, intensity. But they go hand in hand because yeah, you these, can't load certain exercises. Yeah, to these certain things intensity. always go there's always like a crossover. You could look, look at it in terms of effort. Um, so you could have, you could be doing an, an hour run, but if you're going for a max hour run, that's still an mm-hmm. A effort. Um, and then you could look at it in terms of uh, uh, like specific to your sport, which I guess exercise selection as well. But uh, <clears throat> a lot of these other ones would be C, mm-hmm. would usually be C type work. So you can put a, like quite a bit of it in there. Um, and I mentioned in the last show that what people are given for rehab are often C-type exercises. But do know – I would call a lot of them even D. The D doesn't exist, but they're, D, they're Ds. But just do know that as, if you keep to these foundational principles without keeping it too complicated, of course, you have a good coach's eye on you. You can do the A's and yeah. B's to stay healthy or to for rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, when we have new athletes – they do bilateral squatting and deadlifting 
through yeah. a range of motion that's comfortable yeah. with appropriate loading, blah, blah, blah. So those kind of like odd exercises. And when Kyle says D, he's implying that there's probably no adaptation happening at all. Yeah, that's when you see like a lot of where the, there's uh, the loading is yeah. so low. Yeah. Or, and sometimes people might need that. But <clears> if, <throat> if you're an athlete and you're doing band work and nothing else, mm. you're, it's just not enough um, yeah. at all. But I, I do think this, this idea of doing enough and doing it at the right rate leads us into kind of how we want to conclude today's oh, pot. Can I bring something up real quick? God, I always do. That. <clears throat> so close. Uh, so sorry. I'm coughing a lot guys, by the way, I have, I have like some stuff. Is in my it throat. Dexter? No, I don't know. I did a hard workout yesterday. I think <laughs> I did an eighth. He, he, he's involving more cardio. And he's <clears> and just <clears throat> I'm having a hard time breathing. Yeah. Um, He'll say things like, does your heart ever like, this is totally an aside, it- but Kyle will say things like, troublesome hopefully he's still with us at, by the <laughs> end of, uh, of the show but he's like does your heart ever like skip a beat or like what's the last thing you said you were like no i was doing good this wasn't conditioning i was doing good mornings. oh he's doing good mornings and he had like this like cat he had this um and my jaw cracked and he, it like went up into my head it felt weird yeah yeah and i'm like <clears throat> no kyle i've never had any of these <laughs> things happen <laughs> um anyways what i was gonna say is you know talking about this uh something I really liked was actually Brecacheris has one thing he talks about, and I guess he does talk about as frequently is the force vector mm-hmm. theory, where basically it, it 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 is similar to like just specificity where you're going to get strong in the in the ranges or not ranges uh, planes of movement in which you train. And what I like to do a lot, um, and I actually haven't thought about this until now about how I kind of look at my C type work or even some of the B as well. And guys, just for a C, we're talking like accessory. If you haven't heard episode 11, go back and hear it. But it's like more like what you'd think of as being accessory work. So, and and this is what we do a lot. um, If we have someone who's injured is we say, okay, what planes of movement are they like maybe overusing or constantly, constantly working? Um, How can we adjust the volume intensity there? What planes of movement are they maybe not working in that they could, that could help them? Uh, and then um, also like what planes of movement that uh, they do need to get stronger in for either the sport or again to rehab such, such and such. Uh, but um, with the force factory theory, like what I kind of say is like you could categorize it as like A is like things you need for your sport. So very simple. If you're a power lifter, like um, the planes of movement that are A efforts are like your squat, your deadlift and your bench. And then, okay, B could be like, what are some of those heavier accessories or more, I don't know, intense accessories that I need to do to like feed my A work? So mm-hmm. if you're like for, for squatting, like, I don't know, lunges or front squats or safety bar squats. And then the C work could be like, okay, what is a sport not necessarily going to help me? Or how can I say this? The C type work could be, what am I not getting at all? Like uh-huh. it may not directly be helping your, your A stuff. But it's like, it's going to keep me healthy. So what are like planes of movement that I'm never really getting in uh, that are, but are going to maybe could have some crossover. Um, So everyone always talks about trunk, trunk work, right? Uh Or what most people would say core work and uh, getting like, I mean, your core is not just your stomach, it's your back, your, your your sides and keeping it simple, all of that. So like something I, can't you talk about? Uh, Terry's major. the insertion and origin <laughs> yeah. of the internal and external. Yeah. Body. So that's like where a lot of, <laughs> you know, like, um, uh, suitcase deadlifts, uh, uh, carries, um, doing some actually targeted ab work, back ascensions. 
you could say like, all right, so this might not have like specific crossover to my deadlift or my back squat, but it could keep me healthy and get me in planes of movement that, you know, I haven't really, I never really train often. And that's kind of why I was thinking of the force vector theory, because it's like, you, if you look at all the areas, I want to explain this. It, it's just, it's just, yeah, I did in the beginning. I said, it's, I did say that, but did you? Yeah. I said, it's like specificity that you just get strong in the ranges. But like when you say force, you might want to break that down like even more. Like what does the relationship mean or have implications for? Oh, it's just like um, you said, like just like the define. define. Yeah, an easy. I get. Well, I thought we're keeping it simple. We are keeping it simple. An easy. You have to define. I define posterior. An easy example would be um, uh, people would do if you're a sprinter, squatting was like a big exercise because they thought stronger legs would mean a a faster sprinter. uh, Sprinter, but uh, the way that the bar moves in a squat is not similar to the way. Uh, the hips move in a sprint. So they found that actually hip thrusts have more specificity or crossover to sprinting because the hips are working in the same plane of movement that a sprint would work in, if that makes sense. So in a sprint, your hips are, um, how can I say this? Not getting too too technical. Basically, a hip thrust works the hips in a much more similar way uh, than a squat does in a sprint. And that's just kind of the idea is that there's these exercises that, that includes timing to it with how fast you do it. Yeah. With how fast you do it and everything like that. Um, so yeah, that's just another way I like to break it down is in that ABC a little bit is the C could be kind of, you think about, okay, what am I not getting from my sport and making sure you have some accessory work mm-hmm. around that. And then, you know, I've seen this too, where people try to say like tally up how much you do of each of these things. Yeah there's no magic number like mm-hmm. if and with that there's no magic exercise yeah there's no yeah. magic exercise there's no magic number if you're doing 10 squat sessions a week and one deadlift could that be problematic sure yeah it well that, that comes down to the the base what we talked about before the basic programming yeah uh, but you know if no need in our opinion to tally up how many of each of these exercises we've done and then get nitpicky about adding like mm-hmm. one or two pull sessions or, or sorry, one or two pull exercises or mm-hmm. one more quad session, et cetera. But I, I think this also speaks to, and maybe this will be the next podcast. This, this is going much longer than we thought it would, by the way. No, I like <laughs> we were having some trouble in the beginning, uh, not at the podcast, but of finding a topic. But um, this could talk about similar to like, you know, people for a while, percentages of certain lifts were certain were popular. Like, your back squat to your front squat should be this uh-huh. right, specific yeah. number. Um, and I think we've moved away from that. Entirely. Well, like, yeah. The name still holds true because yeah. there is this ratio of intensities and volumes yeah. and uh, progr- like it's, it all is uh, – there, there has to be a synergy to everything. There has to be yeah. a relationship to everything. And, and, but, but uh, yeah, that's those, – those relationships. That, yeah. And the reason, well, the reason I was They're not nearly as important as we yeah. uh, had initially let on, but hey, we're, uh, we are accepting of it and growing. Yeah. But what I was going to relate that to is like, it's not, it's not that, um, you have to be like super strong or these perfect percentages, uh, in these like different planes of movement. It's just that you have to be not like, 
like a, an, getting an F on it, you know, in terms of grades, you have and to that have like holds a C, true for all of these B. sports. Like yeah. in CrossFit, you don't, you can't get an F in anything. Yeah. In weightlifting, well, yeah, that's obvious. Yeah. But in, and in powerlifting too, like, I mean, if you're going to yeah. get an F on anything, it might be the bench because it's like the lowest. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's not because I, I think per the biggest, but, like a big mistake people make is they just like, oh, I got to do this, and then they add a bunch of it. Yeah. Where it doesn't have to be like a crazy amount. It could just be like um, doing some lateral work twice a week. Or, I love how when uh, Hoffman on his podcast with uh, uh, Revive Stronger was like, he's like, you know, the people who do so well in the gym, they're like, you know, they crush it in their training. And you mentioned, because this is a, a podcast on recovery, like, okay, what do I add? He was like, yeah. no, 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 no. Like, we actually might even like take away. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. I think what the the point that we're trying to create here is like, you know, you 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 don't have to get caught in the minutia. You can keep this all very simple. And, and mm-hmm. if we can conclude on kind of these more subjective feelings about either doing too little or doing too much, mm-hmm. with considerations of biomechanics, I think it'd be important to again just keep it simple, but present it. To, to kind of tie together in this podcast is that if you're like, okay, I, 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 Zach and Kyle were talking about appropriate loading progressions and uh, foundational mechanics, and I've totally got all of that, but I'm just um, not getting better. I'm not getting bigger. Uh-huh. Something that you can ask yourself is, are your workouts hard? Uh-huh. Do they cause soreness? Do you do you feel like you've exerted yourself? That's probably where you want to start. That's also in our experience where people have the least problem with. As we just discussed, uh-huh. people are more apt to like just want to pile well, they on. They sometimes work too hard. Work. They do yeah. too much. So con- well, so start off there. If you are curious as to whether or not you are getting bigger or stronger, just know that you have to be creating some adaptation. Mm-hmm. You have to have some kind of soreness, some indicator that you had done work the day prior. Um, and that can also help out in just like keeping it simple. If you don't have a lot of time to train, mm-hmm. go in and just hit your A's and B's well yeah. enough so that you know you got in a good workout and you feel it the next day. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of things... I mean, that's a good point right there. It's like just because you're not going to hit like you may only hit an A. Yeah. And I, it doesn't mean you're going to like, things are failing. No. Like you could stay, you, you can get super strong. You can stay super healthy. You can do all these things by just hitting like just the main yeah. movements. Like, uh, I think that's another thing that people overthink is they're like, well, I'm not doing this and this and this, like yeah. all these additional things where it's like, no, like, like those things are good to have, but they are not always necessary. Yeah. And like, we'll get into details again, but Again, back to the basics, you know, just yeah, get in, get the work in, but make sure that work was actually challenging that you weren't on your phone the whole time. Uh, and then on the flip side, if you're like, but Zach and Kyle, I did this whole foundational biomechanics thing and my loading is appropriate. Well, if you are, oh, I've done all these things you said, but I feel pain. Mm-hmm. This is where tracking can be so helpful in that you can find the loading or the volume with which you began to feel pain. So then you know, okay, that's my threshold. I back off. I start down a little bit lower or I end a little bit lower. 
meaning that training should get harder over time. If at the end of our cycle, we'll, we feel beat up and we feel in pain, we've exceeded our abilities to then come back harder for that next overload. We want to make sure that we're keeping track of these progressions. We are leaving notes about these progressions and that we find this medium between not doing enough and feeling beat to crap and instead starting somewhere just above not doing enough and ending somewhere just below feeling beat to crap and then running that cycle over and over and over again, allowing it to change and wax and wane based on your goals but the ABC model can kind of come with you as you change mm-hmm. those goals. That's going to be the summary for today. This was episode 12 of the Strength Ratio podcast. See you guys.